Welcome to Flashlight Podcast, where we aim to shine a light into all your favorite songs through conversations with artists on how music has helped them through hard times. Hello, I'm Alfie Templeman. I'm 20 years old. I make music, I write it, and I record it. So it's a bit, a bit of everything. I have uh, different ways of approaching it. Oh, and I sometimes tour as well. That's my life. The first time I knew I actually wanted to make music was in the form of production because when I was seven years old I heard an album by a band called Rush called Hemispheres and like at the time it just really clicked with me for some reason and something in my brain went how did they put this down how did they take this music you know this energetic drumming how do they make it sound so good through a CD player you know how do they make it sound so good through a vinyl groove? My knowledge of limiters and pros, like all different kinds of audio processes, that just began when I was a kid. And like, I just got more and more intrigued in how things worked and what people were doing, how engineers worked in the studio and things like that. So I decided I wanted to be a producer. I decided that I wanted to write songs and make them at home. And then, yeah, when I was like seven or eight, that's when it clicked, to be fair. I was really young. When you started making music, did you start more on the producing side or were you always writing your own songs? I'd use the studio as an instrument in the sense that I'd almost, uh, you know, the studio was just my computer and a, like a crappy microphone. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't any more than that when I was a kid, but the, I, the idea was that I'd write the songs through production. So the focus was always actually just making weird sounds and somehow out of making weird sounds, a song would just be written subconsciously. I like that's that's the way I started writing music like I'd literally just make it up on the spot you know whatever would just naturally flow out of my brain I'd decide you know I'm gonna put that down I'm gonna record it so I just let my brain tell my fingers what to do and kind of just let it happen naturally when I got a little bit older say 12 or 13 like it kind of changed for me and the way I started making songs was actually that I just like hear them in my head like already complete and it was like I'd been given this task to like I don't know it, it I don't really know how it works like it's really hard to explain how it, how it happens but I just hear songs in my head all the melodies and what instruments they're already played on it's like my head's like already decided what I want them to sound like and then I'm like given the task to like somehow take my two hands and put them on a computer and just like somehow put together what's in my head and like once it actually sounds like what my head sounds like I'm like yeah we're done and I can move on. It's quite a weird process, but that happened a bit later on. And that's kind of like how I've, you know, actually in a way I follow both techniques now. It's like, I either have the songs that just have written in my head already, or I have the songs where I just make it up on the spot. And that's like my two ways of working and my only two ways. That's really cool. Your music is very intuitive then. It feels like there isn't, I guess, a strenuous process of sitting down and being like, I have to write this song. Do you ever get annoyed at yourself if you have this idea in your head and you're like not able to get it down the way that it sounds in your brain? Yeah, yeah. Like to the point where, in fact, I'm doing my second album at the moment and there's some songs in it that come from like 2017 because like I was really angry at myself and like six or seven years ago, I couldn't write them the way I wanted to. Like maybe I didn't have the... I couldn't afford the instruments I had in my head for them or something, you know? So it's been like six or seven years where I've just waited until I have the right tools and the right things to get away with the song I already had in my mind like all those years ago. But um, I think my patience has got better because I used to, like, if I used to get angry about it, I'd just rewrite the song so it fitted what I could do in, in my room kind of thing. Like, oh, I don't have a bass guitar. 
fine i'll just octave it down on the guitar and then make it kind of sound like a bass and like you know there was always ways of like getting around like that kind of stuff but yeah i used to get pissed off if i couldn't <laughs> get the exact sound i was looking for yeah and thinking about revisiting songs that you were working on six or seven years ago so you were like 13 or 14 when you were writing those songs does it feel how does it feel to revisit emotions or topics that you were writing about when you were so much younger than you are now I mean the lyrics were never the priority back then that was the thing it was mm -hmm. like I was very much focused on melody melody is what really turned me on as a music listener once again referring to the Beatles it's like there was Paul McCartney who was the guy that really focused on melody in the Beatles and there was John Lennon who focused on the lyrics and I always loved Paul's stuff growing up but now like especially with this second album like I really focus on the way that John wrote lyrics and also like people like Nick Drake who combined it both perfectly. But um, yeah, when I was growing up, it was always just like, oh, I need to make the best melodies possible. I'll just write a really basic lyric stuff thing of, about love or something and then just chuck that in there for the time being. But like nowadays, it's like I actually spend a lot of time on lyrics and I like try and perfect them and make sure that they're really good and really accurate because there's a lot going on when you turn 20 I guess like there's a lot happening so since I turned 20 I've been writing a lot of stuff because it's like you have those kind of little existential moments that fuel tons of ideas and things that your brain hears a lot so yeah so turning 20 has been big for you yeah I think I think so like I don't know like I've never really had that moment of sheer intensity that you get when you turn a certain age the way I did when I turned 20 this year because it was like it just felt like all of a sudden it's like this is the first time I've joined a new decade of my life being this conscious being this aware of what's going on in my life and actually like facing my burdens and trying to address them and trying to like grow up and become more mature as a person and stuff it was like this massive weight on me all of a sudden because it was like wow this is your 20s like you're you're actually in the real big world and also like as someone that's kind of known as a teenager making these songs you know like whatever what I've been doing since I was 15 it's also like so where do I go next like is it not as impressive now that I'm 20 and like um you know like it, these are things that you have to that you can't avoid I think everyone that's like a young musician would have thought this like Declan McKenna or whatever like I can give a billion examples but like if you start out as a really young artist you're going to be asking yourself a lot of questions by the time you get into your early 20s and you think you're like an old dude or something just because you've just turned 20 and you've been making music for that long but it, no it's not the case it's just like I don't know it just feels like I've been making music for so long already and I'm only 20 and now it's like wow this is the next step it's like I need to get serious I need to make something that really surprises me really shocks me that something that's completely new because it's a new part of my life if that makes sense so I think it's just a really fun task but it's also quite like a big task and it's quite intense but I think that makes it challenging and it makes it more fun and makes it more possible to get away with you know mm -hmm. yeah that's really interesting because I think too like and we're around a similar age so I feel like I can resonate that too because I remember my 20th birthday was a huge deal in the sense yeah. of like I always felt I always had friends that were a lot older than me so I always felt or even like relationships that I had been in like I was always with people who were older than me so I always felt like my age was like this huge burden of like I'm so young like I yeah. need to and then suddenly like I don't know though I felt like suddenly when I turned 20 I was like I can't wait till I'm 21 like now yeah, I'm, 21, I'm like I like I can't wait till I'm 22 because everyone else keeps getting older so everyone else is still just right, as much it. and it's older like, than me you've seen someone else just 
you've just like nearly got to the door but someone's already opened it before you kind of thing it's like they've already unlocked that part of life and, and yeah like they're already at the next there. one yeah exactly yeah. It's like, oh man i wish i was like oh man i wish it's like you're constantly kind of like foreshadowing in a way yeah. yeah i think it is like a heavy thing like it's the first time that you're like well i'm not a teenager even though you know like when you're 18 19 you're an adult but it's like you still kind of fall under that range of being a kid well, or being 18 a 19 it's like that's yeah the period, exactly it just still makes you feel that way regardless yeah and you signed you signed to your record label when you were 15 yeah yeah and I've been with them ever since. So it's like, I've been with the same team for so long. So it's like, I've been, I'm so used to this, but it's also like, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, like signing to a record label so young, being 15, which I know to a 15 year old is a dream come true. But do yeah. you, you ever feel like that got in the way of you just having like a normal teenage experience? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, by the time I was halfway through being 16 I'd left school I didn't you know I didn't like most people went off to university I was like the one kid that actually didn't you know dropped out and and went on and did music and it felt very strange to me because it was like I had no real perception of what it was like to be growing up as an, an a normal you know like someone doing a level someone like in a group of friends like I didn't really see friends because they were at school all the time so and then when the pandemic hit, it was even worse. Like I did, I like fell out of touch with a lot of people. And I feel like when you're that age, when you're growing up, you need your friends quite a lot when you're like 16, 17, 18. And I was really lucky that like, I actually went on tour around the same time that I, I, I left school because it meant that I had, I had my friend Joss like next to me who was always there. Um, and I had Adam and Cam as well. And we, we toured with like a band called sports team. And it was like the first big tour. And, I luckily I was also writing a lot of music at the same time so I got quite busy and it allowed me to like uh well I made uh, in 2019 when I left school I was writing my next EP Happiness in Liquid Form and that was like the big release for me it was like the one that most people kind of caught on to and stuff so I was really lucky to have that to fall back onto because if I didn't have that then I would have probably had some kind of writer's block and maybe like freaked out and had to go back back into education which I wouldn't have liked very much I feel like I was always the perfect mix of lucky and also just you know in the right place and doing something just about interesting enough to like you know feel the next thing I was making kind of thing but at the same time it was just really interesting because yeah I didn't really know what was going on in other people's lives I I had my girlfriend and I had my band and my family and I was very lucky to have all of that but yeah like I wasn't in school so it's just quite interesting to me because I've been in school for most of my life you know but yeah I think I think you know do, doing that kind of thing it can definitely it gives you a completely different yeah I just felt older basically I felt like I went from 16 to like 20 very quickly because this mm -hmm. industry is pretty crazy and pretty intense but yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and you mentioned staying busy helped push you to the next thing you said you know you were on tour you're writing songs you're always busy and it could kind of propel you into the next thing that you were doing so when COVID yeah. hit how did that routine come crumbling down well in a lot of ways when COVID hit and the pandemic hit I was actually quite lucky to um you know I was at home and I had my guitars I had my drums I had everything so that's when I started making my first album which was great for me. Like I had, it felt like I had all the time in the world. Like, 
and summer hit so we're having nice barbecues and stuff and just like, I was chilling out I was having the time of my life to be fair because I really enjoyed it, it I kind of like the fact that everyone else was at home as well I know that's like really like messed up but it was like it was like we're all, all in this together we're all just chilling back at home like so yeah I um I was lucky enough to like write a shit ton of songs basically enough to make an album and that's why I released an album last year because there was there were so many songs when I was about 17 like just coming from my bedroom like I was just making so much stuff but obviously by the time Mellow Moon came out it was like last year so that was a long time from that pandemic but yeah that's when all the songs were made for it which is cool yeah it's funny since you mentioned like liking that everyone else was home I remember I went to the Whitney at the museum in New York and they were showing yeah. this film and I guess it got made during the pandemic like as the pandemic was happening like during lockdown I mean and yeah. it was like, like these two lizards and it's like them going through quarantine and it was like each week of the pandemic they were making like a new video and like one of the things they were saying was like honestly I'm kind of loving this break like it's like yeah I'm loving it's this so break. much honestly yeah I don't think and honestly gonna like that again yeah but honestly it's kind of nice in the sense of like you never feel like you're missing out there's no more FOMO because there's nothing to miss out on and I'm gonna yeah. overanalyze this for a second here sorry but like you were saying you know you didn't go off to uni like everyone else did so it's kind yeah. of like in the pandemic it didn't really even matter because like there was no need to feel like oh I'm not doing the same thing that all my friends were doing because exactly. everyone's just at home it was exactly that because I think 2019 it was quite a weird one it felt like I was missing out in a lot of ways and like even though I was on tour and it looked very rock and roll man I was like still 16 and like you know I wasn't really going to like everyone back at home was like partying and rocking it out and stuff and then there was just me like on tour but then I just go back and be like oh god I've got to make more music now and stuff but then yeah when the pandemic hit everyone else is being bored as hell too and then that just made yeah. me more creative yeah and then wait can you mention happiness and liquid form for can you remind me when did that song come out um was it that... came out in April 2020 which is right at the start of the pandemic I remember being sent your song used to love in like fall of 2019 which is how yeah. I found your music and that then was, yeah don't go wasting time I like that song <laughs> that was on that EP yeah don't go wasting time which is interesting because um I think that was the first EP I made where it was like people really started listening and stuff I feel like that's probably the one around the time where like people in the states actually started listening as well so it kind of makes sense yeah actually since we were talking about Boston it was a friend of mine who moved to Boston and then he sent me that song like after he moved oh, really? so maybe your music was making waves in Boston I don't know that's really but interesting. I remember like listening casually to it for a while and then when like happiness in the good form and like circles and stuff got more attention and other yeah. people I knew started also knowing your music they were like oh by the way like he's like 16 he's 17 and I was like what <laughs> I was so taken aback I like not to add to that crazy. like that feeling <laughs> that you're having of like well now I'm no longer a teenager I remember being like what the hell like I That's thought this you was... say that like there's yeah a few said that, but it's like I feel like when you listen to songs like circles it's really obvious that I'm like 16 because mm. it's like there's quite a naive kind of thing about a lot of those old songs of mine like they're very just kind of see-through and just cute and silly and more just for the vibes you know that's it <laughs> it's just for like the whole vibes of it and like it's fun to play live like people enjoy it live but then there's like the more serious songs that are kind of sweeping around now so. yeah well, I think I was always like your voice that I thought made me think that you're so much older because I felt like there was like 
a maturity to the voice and then also a complexity to the sounds that you were making. So that's why it was so surprising that's to me when I found out that you were so much younger than I thought you were. I thought, I, I thought my voice makes me sound younger. It makes me sound like I'm 12. Really? Yeah. Really? Because like Used to Love is the first song I heard and that song kind of has like a jazzy undertone to it. So yeah. I wouldn't have expected it. I feel like a lot of times when when I think a lot of times when artists get popular younger, they're very traditionally pop artists. And I felt like your earlier music, I mean, even your current music has a lot of like funk and stuff to yeah. it. But like that early EP with Used to Love on it was very, there were a lot of jazz undertones when I listened I'm, to it, I'm which I wouldn't really have thought. That you said that. Thank you. I, um, yeah. I like when people notice that I can actually play instruments. <laughs> that is it's so funny because like, I suppose I didn't really help myself in the early days, but like, I just looked like such an e-boy piece of shit. And it was like so <laughs> embarrassing. And like, I really want to distance myself from that and keep the jazzy undertones like you say. It's like a lot yeah. of the new stuff I'm doing for this album kind of follows the jazz feel. Um, so hopefully you'll like it. But um, yeah, I think it's a good mix. Like you want to keep the funk, you want to keep the jazzy bits, you want to keep the hooks and the melody of like the poppy sugary bits but like bring it all together in the right format and as long as you can do that it's cool mm -hmm. yeah and you said that you said that a lot of your earlier music was more transparent and just you know there for a good time but you're trying to have more complexity in especially lyrically in your newer music so where's that inspiration yeah. coming from um good question there's no um i mean there's the classics like neil young bob dylan Lennon, Joni Mitchell, you know, like all of these amazing lyricists that can pin together words so well. And I always, I always really love listening to those kind of people and the way that they gel words together. Even Bowie was really incredible at it. Um, but in terms of what I'm, the topics of what I'm singing and, and writing about at the moment, well, it's all personal things. It's all about those little bits and pieces I was talking about earlier, like growing up and kind of falling into a deeper co consciousness of just like you know finally you know rather than sweeping aside your problems actually confronting them um there's a lot of that in this new record I feel like with Mellow Moon there was definitely subtle hints of like me talking about my brain a little bit more but with this album it's very personal it's almost like a step-by-step -step guide in parts like this there's some songs where it's literally me telling myself what to do and how to how to get better and how to calm down and how to like take a deep breath kind of thing so there's a lot of like I don't know I feel like sometimes writing songs for me feels like a simple reminder because sometimes simple reminders are, like go right over my head but with songs I normally actually try and listen and see what they're saying so I feel like perhaps if it helps me and it's easier for me to digest in the form of a song it might help other people you know that kind of thing. Yeah, that's really lovely. So the newer music addresses a lot of just like anxiety and things like that, especially yeah. as you're stepping into this like existentialism. No, it's exactly that. It's like all the sides of existentialism, like, you know, like all the kinds of thoughts and all the kind of worries, because I, I do get worked up really easily. So it's like, it's a good way of me like calming myself down. But it ranges from everything. It's like, you know, like just everything a kind of 20 year old artist would be thinking about like the stress of touring is even in there like after like we played so many gigs last year we played like a hundred shows so it was like you know you can't help but be impacted by that if it was like you grow like five years too fast or something in the space of a year or something when you're on tour because like so much is happening 
so much is moving and you can't always treat your body the right way because it's like really hard to manage yourself on tour like non-stop and I think we were on tour must have been that six or seven months of last year we were on tour so it was heavy for us we we hadn't experienced anything like that before so I was I was writing a lot about that when I got back home yeah when we spoke in November at Gramercy I remember you talking about how the lack of routine was conflicting poorly with your ADHD are there things that you've learned as you've continued to tour that help you maintain it better or is it kind of just like some tours are worse than others I think with me it all depends on my mindset and the way I go into it it's like some tours like you said can definitely be worse than others um I feel like a big thing for me, like these are like small things I'm going into now, but actually like, and it even, it hurts for me to do, but I need a lot of time to wake up and get ready. And this is something I've noticed on the road, like a lot recently. <clears throat> I'm easily distracted because that's part of ADHD in the first place. Um, my attention span is pretty poor. So if I go for a shower, I'll come out the shower, go on my phone and sit on my phone for ages and then forget that I need to get dry, get ready. Like sit like as simple as that. Like, so basically like, I've decided that I'm going to get up, like give myself more time, even if it means I have to go to bed earlier on tour. Like I'll skip like the four beers I'm going to drink with my mates and actually just go, right, I need to sleep or, you know, just set my alarm a bit earlier. So I have more time to get up and know that I can get to the lobby call on time kind of thing, because <laughs> like I don't want to mess things up. So, um, yeah, it's like giving myself more time to wake up you know, having a nap before sound check kind of thing, like trying to push in the things rather than going, ah, oh, I'll be fine. Cause like, I've done that too many times to the point where I now realize I need to actually like perform some kind of self-care method on myself when I'm on tour, just in order to like maintain some kind of performance continuity as well. Because like, I want to make sure that there's at least some kind of level, like a bar, a pretty high bar that's set each night we go on the road. I want to make sure we maintain that continuity. You know, it's like something that's really important to me. So, um, yeah, like steaming. I'm like trying to do things to help my voice, like vocal warm ups, like things like that, because these things all like they just help me keep myself active rather than just like because the worst thing about touring is just sl- being slumped on the floor, sitting around doing nothing, traveling, like sitting in an airport for hours, sitting on a plane for hours. Like you need to do things. You need to keep yourself active because my brain can often get understimulated like very quickly. Right. And it's like I have to do something. I have to keep my mind active in order for me to not burn out and, and be fed up. So as long as that happens, then it's fine. Yeah, that's pretty awesome that you have so many like little practices in place because they're like little <laughs> things that can feel more attainable than like just the overwhelming all aspects of tour. I'm yeah. curious though, in terms of keeping yourself stimulated and keeping your brain stimulated, does touring ever feel overstimulating? Like, is there anything that you have to do to wind down after maybe you play the show that night and then you're saying that you want to go to bed earlier so you can start your morning, but are you ever just like your brain is too active to do that? there's been times where I just don't sleep at all on tour or if I do it's like one or two hours um the first half of the states I think like this mainly happens a lot of this like the start when you go on a long flight and it's like next day you wake up and you've got to play a show so when we got to the states I was like staying up until like 5 a.m kind of thing at the start it was just like my brain like the adrenaline, you know, we we landed, went to bed. Next day, we played a show, and the adrenaline's just so intense that you end up staying up the whole night, and you fall asleep like really early, and it like fucks up your whole kind of. 
I don't know, your day. It's like you're randomly tired by the time it's like three o'clock and you've got a show to play in like a few hours. You've got a sound check. You've got to load everything in. You've got to do stuff before then. You've got interviews. And it's like, why am I so like backwards? I think the worst I had that was in Japan because I think collectively the whole trip, we were there for like four days and like the flight was so intense because like the whole thing is apparently if you fly east, it's like more intense, the jet lag. So I remember when we played Japan, it was like... (laughs) We we flew there and then the next day we had a show and I just had the worst migraine ever. Like we had to travel like three hours down and I was like just constantly sick in the in the in the van. Like I had the worst head ever. So um, yeah, I just couldn't sleep for days. And like the thing I did in 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 Japan, weirdly, it, it wasn't I couldn't wind down no matter how hard I tried. So what I did was I I kind of surrendered. And just decided to walk around Tokyo every night until I like just crashed from being tired. So I just kept staying up until like 5 a.m. <laughs> basically, just walking around the streets. Because like the only thing that will really help me is ASMR. And if that doesn't help, then I just give up and like fucking stay up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's so disorienting to be in so many different time zones. So even like even just touring through America, like you're if you're going from east to west, like you're in like three to four different time zones because there's like four time zones in America so it's like you're you're never even if you're trying to keep a sleep schedule you're never really keeping a sleep schedule because every city you go to your start dates at a different time not date your start times a different time of night so I can imagine that like just like it becomes so difficult to keep that routine yeah the old uh west to east coast run is quite interesting yeah yeah you play like you go California, then you go up through Oregon, and then you do um, you place like Washington, and then you're like, oh great, we've now got to fly to the other side of the country just when we got used to that time zone. In fact, yeah. I just I just flew, flew I just got used to LA. I was in LA like a couple of weeks ago. Just got used to the timings like after a week. Then it's like, oh, I'm going to Miami, and it was so weird and so hot, and it was like so. In- oh my god, it's crazy. Yeah, I know. Also, do you ever get that feeling when you get off of a plane where you're like, I can't believe I just like sat in this plane and now I'm in a different part of the world (laughs) all the time. I always like click my fingers and I'm like in places and it's really strange. Yeah, it's so disorienting to me. I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I know, but it's also like, what? (laughs) I know I sound dumb. Like, I don't understand like physics engineering. No, it's so strange. You know, I get that. I get that just going into London and that's like... (laughs) an hour train to get into London. And I'm like, I all of a sudden just teleport. I'm in London. I'm like, how the hell am I in London? How am I in like the big city? I've been to London like, what? Flipping 300 times, 400 times. I don't know. Like, I can't even tell you how many times. I've worked there all the time, like every week. Uh, I still get that. It's really weird. Yeah, it is weird. I wanted to chat about Aerial Days. Actually, just in your own words, how would you describe the difference between the music you make, you know, as Alfie versus the music you make under Aerial Days? well it's it's interesting I suppose uh when Aerial Days started out it was the the very first EP I made was in actually in a similar kind of vein to what I was doing as a solo artist under just Alfie and the point was that I was just making really simple catchy indie pop songs and I was like putting them on SoundCloud this is I'm talking like 2018 here um but like a couple years later Uh, It just completely changed because obviously under Alfie, I make a lot of indie pop, like I'm predominantly indie pop with like different flicks of different influences like R&B and folk and bits. But with Aerial Days, 
it's a bit of a challenge for me personally. Like I've done two albums under Aerial Days and the first one, the idea was to record it in 24 hours. So the whole thing was written and recorded in a day. And that was like a challenge. So I had to do it in my house, record it all myself, engineer it myself, master it, mix it, make the artwork. And then the challenge at the end was to press it on vinyl, which we did, which was really cool. I just did it by myself and sent it to a pressing plant. So that was the big challenge for Aerial Days. And then it, I decided I'd just keep making different weird things, regardless of how many people listen to it. It was, you know, that was irrelevant, whether it got one play or a million I just make what felt to me 100% me, just like no filter whatsoever. Um, so yeah, Aerial Days became this kind of like platform in which I could just like basically churn out exactly what was directly being thought of in my head. And um, that's how those two albums came about. And the second album, which is just Aerial Days 2, um, yeah, that came out last year and it was just me messing around, basically, like producing all the things that I'd always wanted to produce and all the things that it goes back to the very first thing I said to you on this podcast, which is like I was listening to albums and going in my head. How do they do that? How do they make that sound? How did it, how, you know, so that was how Aerial Days came about in the end. And that's how like I work with Aerial Days now. It's all about it's not even meant to be lo-fi. It just ended up being lo-fi because I'm not like. I don't know the way I produce this like stuff. It's like got a lot of microphone hiss and I'm not like the best engineer. So it just makes it sound all like lo-fi and old, but I kind of like that for some reason and people like it as well. And it kind of reminds them of like Alex G and Elliot Smith and stuff like that and, and Duster and shit like that. So yeah, I'm completely down with it and I'm really proud of it. Yeah, that's awesome. So does it feel like there's less pressure when you're making music for Aerial Days than under your main project because you're not making it for a label. You're not really making it for any particular group of fans. It's just kind of like, here's some music. I hope you like it because I enjoyed making it. I mean, considering that the first Aerial Days album was literally just made in a day, it was like, there was never any pressure ever. Yeah. That was the whole point. It was like, if I, you know, if I hesitated even a bit, I would have lost an hour and not completed it, you know? But I just thought I'm going to do it because there's no point in not doing it. Like I'm here, I'm able to do it. I have all the tools I've ever needed. Like this is, this is 2020, I was 17. And um, it was like the year that Happiness and Liquid Form came out. So I managed to actually make a bit of DOS for the first time properly in my life. Like not record label advances, but actual royalties. And I was like, wow, this is like gold to me because I can spend it on the things I've always dreamed of, which is microphones, um, guitars, like drum sounds and, you know, so all of a sudden I just had everything I ever wanted to. And because I knew I could fall back on the Alvy Templeman thing, or I could fall back on writing songs for other people or producing, it meant that I could easily have Aerial Days as something to just explore and do exactly what I wanted to. I don't know if you know about Todd Rundgren, but he's, uh, he's an incredible producer from the seventies and his whole uh, way of creating his solo albums was, he knew that he could fall back on producing because he was, scouted as a producer in like the late 60s very early 70s he like got in with a band called the band and he produced one of their albums stage fright and then he did like meatloaf and a bunch of other classic albums but because he was already had all of that amazing stuff going on in his life it meant he could release solo records that were just really weird and not care if they were weird because he knew he could fall back on being a producer if no one gave a shit about his albums. But people did give a shit about his albums because they're interesting, they're cool, like they're, they're different. There's lots of different sounds going on. And you can tell he was in a position where he just 
he had the money to to do the things he wanted to do with music like he had good intentions with money like he spent it on just making amazing music for people which is exactly what i want to do that's the point with varial days as well and i'm like really glad that people have caught on with it and enjoy it because it's just like it's exactly what i've inherited all my royalties into <laughs> like that's what i do like it's my only passion music there's nothing else i haven't bought any games or anything with it you know no, no fancy holidays just making another aerial days album it's great that's so cool it's like I don't know it's just awesome that like you're like you can make music and then that music allows you to make more music like yeah exactly scenario. it's like recycling in a weird way yeah <laughs> it's like it, it meant I could make my own label it meant I could crowdfund my own vinyl and like that stuff was no extra cost it was like crowdfunding it's like amazing that I could just do yeah. that I actually didn't know that you had your own label. Is that just like what you do Aerial Days on or do you have other artists that you have on uh, a label? Who? It's just for me and my friend Margot Felwell, who they're going to be playing guitar. Like when I do Aerial Days live, because we might do some gigs, it's going to be oh. me and them just playing. Like they're just an incredible artist themselves. And um, we've been friends for years. They're from Wales and uh, we don't meet up much. It's quite sad because like, we live quite far away so when we do it's like amazing and we've been making songs for the internet for yonks so we formed this little label probably about five or six years ago and then everything they've released uh is under haunted attic records and everything that i've released as aerial days is under haunted attic and also i had a very old song called orange juice that goes way back to when i started out and that was also on haunted attic so paper rose haiku because he does like emo rap as like a side right as like a I couldn't side believe gig. That when you showed me it i was like i was very surprised it is so cool like and he was telling me too how like one of the medic songs like started as a paper rose song and i was like just imagine oh, it going from there to there it's wow, so funny that's interesting like that must have had to be like a complete 180 yeah or like you know his song um off the new album i think about you all that like it's like the grow your hair long album but the song is i think about you all the time right. yeah he put right, a, he right. put out like a metal version of it under paper <laughs> Rose. Well, yeah. thinking about it like a lot of his songs i can actually imagine in like weirdly somehow like him managing to do that yeah yeah you'll have to take a listen to it watered and stuff aren't they and like weird and they're yeah. like a lot of it I remember he used to play like just with like a boom box on stage like as his yeah. backtrack like he would do a lot oh, with man. just tapes and such so he That's definitely had them. That drums and everything That's really yeah cool. he had a very specific aesthetic I think his last show that the last show that I went to of his in the fall had like a band and such I think I went to his show either right before your show or right after your show it was like in yeah, that time it frame. Just, it was nearby. I remember you telling me uh, it was just close together, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was around Thanksgiving. We're always there in Thanksgiving. I don't know why. We always go on tour in the States when Thanksgiving comes about. But I think huh. November is just quite a gig kind of time. Yeah. November, like the October, November is a big concert time. And I think like April, May, like April has always been a big concert time too. I feel like I'm missing a bunch yeah. of shows being in London. I'm excited for my time in London. I want to check out just like some random venues and stuff too. I also want to go sure. to a show at the O2 because I just feel like that's like a venue I should go to if I'm going to be in London. I saw the 1975 at the O2. Oh, uh, so cool. I've only, I went to their MSG show like in Madison Square Garden last year. Yeah. 
but I've only otherwise seen them at festivals. I saw them at a festival in like 2016 and 2019 in New York. So I never like I'll tell went you the to whole like, story because it's pretty bad. Sorry. Um, I'd love to hear it. I I went like two years ago. So you went, wait, when's the first time you went? 20, 2016. 16. When they did I Like It When You Sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I liked the first two albums, but then I went to see the third one, Notes on a Conditional Form at the O2. And I ate like two hot dogs before and I fell asleep. What? Yeah, I fell asleep watching them. I didn't mean to, but I was just really, I was really hungry and I ate too much. And like when I eat too much, it just makes me tired. And so I fell asleep and I just like decided I leave early because I just felt really tired. You know, when you wake up from a nap and there's like impending doom, like covering your body. Yeah. I was like, I was like fuck, I'm, I'm depressed. And I'm in a 1975 show. Get me the fuck out of here. I'm joking. But <laughs> nah, oh god, I, I can't imagine falling asleep during the Notes tour because like they opened with people, which is like just such a banger. <laughs> and like, yeah, but then they play like 90 minutes of what I imagine like, is trying Jesus to play Christ, America. Brian Eno. God, it's like one of those like soundscape bits that they put in between. Yeah. Also, I'll tell you, I'll one up that story about Notes. When that album was being like promoted, <clears throat> I like remember him coming out with like like this shack of like him and Greta Thunberg talking. And I thought that the whole album was actually just gonna be like a spoken, like <laughs> like a, sp- like a spoken really? piece. <laughs> I like I liked like the me and you together song that dropped as a single, but I thought it was just a random single. And so I was like, like wow, this two of those songs. And then the rest, I of didn't it was think just... it was going to be like an album. Like I thought it was oh going to be God. like a commentary piece. So I actually didn't <laughs> listen to it at first. Cause I was just like, I don't have the time to listen to this oh right now. Like, yeah. like, What's and I was like, I don't know if I want to hear Maddie Healy, like talk about like his, like, I was like, I don't know if Maddie Healy is like who I want to go to for this type of commentary for like yeah, an right. hour and a half long album. Well, <laughs> I was like, this is like, um, Sorry, this is now reminding me of when I listened to ASMR and uh, there's a band called Pond who uh, are like Tame Impala, like Kevin's backing band. And they made an album like a few years ago called The Weather. And it came out, I was listening to it. I was like, this is really good, but why is some guy whispering across the whole thing? And then I realized I had another tab open and it was ASMR. And it just all made sense because the song would finish and it would fade out and you just hear a guy go, do you like lettuce? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. What's that? Oh my weather? god! What is like lettuce? So do yeah, but I didn't listen to the album for like, the longest time. Like, and then I realized I was like, wait, this is actually music. Like, let me take oh like a god. proper yeah, right. listen to it. I liked it. I actually did like that album. <clears throat> but, I do um... too. Once I listened to it. there's quite a comfort in the democracy of like you know when you go even like i don't know just i see it so many shows and stuff there's kind of like a you can feel you can feel the same energy from everyone that's in the room together there's a reason why they're all united by the same music they're like listening to being performed i think like the the performer as well is a big part of that and you obviously Mm -hmm. when you become a true fan of someone you kind of like can't help but absorb what the creator of the music is like themselves so i think a lot of people like performers play into that and feel accepted by their fans which is really nice i feel really accepted by mine which is cool 
Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, that's pretty I, cool that you do that. I really love working with them. It's like kind of changed my life, honestly, because I mm. definitely like, I think being more research heavy in school, it kind of helped me see that like, if I wanted to do work in mental health, I didn't have to go down a traditional route. I could actually like work in music or like work in right. media and like still yeah, be sharing very stories in mental health. That's interesting. Yeah. It's like you almost like cut the middleman out and actually just cut to the chase with it do exactly the way that you wanted to do it that's how I feel I feel like I I first of all I like I like talking to people I love talking to people and I like hearing people's stories and I above all else I love interviewing people and talking to people because I love being able to like help other people share about their mental health who otherwise wouldn't so that's like my favorite thing ever um that's really yeah but it's good to hear other artists talk about it as well. Yeah, well, that's why I ended up bringing it up when we were talking in November because my friend, my friend Anne, who was another photographer, was with me, and like when we got to talking, she was like, "Oh, like you should, you know, mention your podcast." And that's kind of why I told you about it at first, mainly because I thought you would enjoy listening to it, just because like yeah, a lot of the stuff absolutely. you were talking about, other artists had come on and talked about it. Yeah, it was really refreshing, really lovely to hear, actually. And it was, yeah, oh, thank yeah you. it was just really cool. I really enjoyed listening to it. So yeah. it's nice to be a part of it. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to have you on it. I really oh, truly mate, like, likewise. <laughs> yeah, it was such an unexpected connection too. Like I just didn't even think that we'd get to chatting about it. Like, I don't know. So oh, absolutely, of course. Yeah. It was, yeah. Was, it was always, you know, in the Yeah. Or even mind. just like meeting in November. Like it was just such like a random it like, was really nice, chain of it? events. I, it was so lovely. I enjoyed that day. I do I really do miss New York as well. Like yeah well you'll have to come back to New York play again me too. Not <laughs> or like me too. come and like spend like a, like a little bit of time here and like actually just like see the city and check out some of the venues here and stuff well yeah exactly I was hoping to do that um you know I really do miss it and I've done that a few times with New York mm. where I just go over there just to go over there basically not to tour but to just go see it a bit and yeah it always puts me in a good mood so and I miss really good pickles so <laughs> I guess I need to. They don't have those in England. (laughs) Not like you guys. Not like New York. No. And bagels. All the good delis. All the good good bagels. I don't really ever get pizza outside of New York either. Especially like I grew up in the tri state. So I'm like New York pizza forever. So I'm just like, I can't get it anywhere else. New York pizza is kind of the best. Um, Yeah. But, don't listen uh, to Chicago with the things that they try to trick you with. Yeah, but you know, no one eats deep dish in Chicago. It's a lie. They I've don't. never been. They so don't. They I'm don't. just going off the stereotypes. No people from Chicago eat deep dish. Seriously. You consulted with the people of Chicago on this? Trust me. Ask <laughs> anyone from Chicago you know, do you eat deep dish? They'll say no. Trust me. Okay. I'll do a survey. Seriously. I'll do a survey later. I absolutely bet you. I'll give you $10 if you hear a single yes. Okay. I'll hold you to that. I bet. And I'll go to the (laughs) ATM and get it out. But Wait, is that uh, your longest interview then? Maybe, but I don't know if I'll keep it all this random stuff that we just (laughs) had. (laughs) On that note though. Like one and a half hours. I can't believe that. I know. 
on that note though is there anything that we didn't talk about that you really wanted to say or get across i think we got everything in there we chatted about quite a bit yeah we chatted about quite a lot yeah <laughs> well this was awesome thank you so Mate, much i'll definitely really good. yeah thank you Mate, so much it's been great. talking to you again and um yeah good luck on everything and i'll talk to you soon maybe see you in london Remember to follow us on Instagram at at flashlight.podcast to stay up to date with future episodes. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.